When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Mortgage Lending Mastery. Get the knowledge you need from America's Mortgage Mentor with more than 35 years of experience and over $1 billion in lifetime fundings. You'll learn to advance your mortgage practice quickly and efficiently. Also, be sure to check out Jen's book, Launch, How to Take Your Business to New Heights. Available on Amazon. For a signed copy, contact Jen at jenduplessis.com. Now, here is Certified Mortgage Planner and CEO of Kinetic Spark Consulting, Jen Duplessis. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Gosh, I'm so excited about today's episode because I have a friend and colleague of mine, uh, Chuck Sutherland, who is a master at creative financing for anything and everything to do with real estate from small residential all the way to multifamily and commercial and complex retail. You name it. He's done it. He has a great, great career and reputation, and he's here to share with us some secrets. So welcome, Chuck. Uh, Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to have you. So, you know, your career has been really long. I mean, you've been in the business for 40 some years. You've been a real estate investor, a real estate developer. Your Mm -hmm. family's in construction. You're a consultant for a lot of people. You're also a private investor, um, you know, money investor. I mean, gosh, there's so many things that you do that it's almost impossible to say where to start, right? But I want to start really at the very, very beginning. And you want to talk about, first of all, just let everybody know that you have a couple of books and we'll put the links to the books in the show notes and stuff. But, and it's kind of going to go in the order of what we're going to talk about today. So the first is your book called Creative Down Payments. The second book you have is Creative Seller Financing, and the third book you have is Advanced Creative Real Estate Financing. So let's start on the beginning part of this. Well, I want to back up just a little bit. I want to talk about your passion because I also know that you've been very interactive or had been very interactive with micro business loans for women. Right. And so I want to kind of start there to see if we can dip into what your passion is and what has really led you to this creativity that you have and why you feel like there's such a need for it in our marketplace. And apparently there's been a need for 40 years. Nobody knew about it till recently. You've been on the bandwagon for a long time. Yes. Back in uh, 1987, I heard about this organization called the Grameen Bank out of Bangladesh, which made loans to the poorest women in the country and of small as $75, well, actually even smaller in many cases, $75 so that women could start their own businesses because women can't, couldn't borrow at the banks in Bangladesh and it was very difficult for them to, to even get into business of any kind. Yeah. And Professor Yunus started making loans and he started getting other people to make loans. And the bank had over a 95% with 5 million borrowers, they had over a 95% repayment rate. Wow. Which is higher than the commercial banks in Bangladesh. Yeah. Yeah. So, and here were women. Yeah. Yeah. And because he considered that women who wanted to work and have their own businesses were extraordinary credit risks. And so he started working on that early 
in the 70s. And I learned about him in 1987. I became part of an international movement, you could say, to instead of giving grants to governments, or countries giving grants to governments, that they made loans to women to start their own businesses. Right. And so the United States got involved in that and uh, other countries did so that it wasn't a handout. It was an opportunity for people mm-hmm. to control their own destiny. Yeah. And I was on the board of directors of the international organization we worked with for years. Mohammed Yunus, who was the founder of the bank and won the Nobel Peace Prize for that, was on the board with us and many other people that were extraordinary people, but highly committed. Yeah. And since then, that was in 1987, there were 7 million women that had their own loans for self-employment around the world, five of them in Bangladesh itself. And so today, out of that movement, it's really an undiscovered, untalked about movement that right now we're at about 150 million women, primarily women, and there's some men in different organizations around the, around the world, not in Bangladesh, all around the world, that get loans for their, their own business and, and the repayment rates are still as high as they were in Bangladesh. Wow. So what made you want to go in that direction to serve that particular community? Maybe given your background, I know you're one of eight kids. I don't know how many yeah. boys or girls or where you fit in, right. but had you seen someone in your life struggle with that type of situation that you felt compelled to help? When I was growing up, we were poor. My dad worked extraordinarily hard to be able to get ahead. And one of the things he had a hard time do- doing was borrowing money for because he wanted to be in business for himself, but it took him years and really over a decade before he could turn his dream into a reality because he couldn't finance anything. Yeah. Loans were made on collateral only. Yeah, and yeah. so I grew up poor. I was poor. And when I was working in the world of real estate, I put a little money in a deal when I was 20 years old. So you can calculate how old I am if you like. <laughs> so financing property when you don't have money takes something. When you don't have money, a bank will loan you money if you can prove you don't need it typically. So how do you do something if you have no collateral to start with and you have no money to start with? Right. And so I started working with creative approaches to arranging financing. And examples of that are, that's why I wrote those three books. They're really all about some form of financing because I had to learn how to creatively finance the transactions or I couldn't do anything. I'll give you an example. I'll give, there's a lot of examples that are commercial and some of them are residential. But the principles are all the same. In fact, in my books, I, I talk about the principles. Every principle, every strategy has a residential example and a commercial example. So I was very excited to write that because it was what I developed and learned from others many times over the years that helped me get going myself. Because I could, And finally, I found ways to get financing in transactions, but I had to go. It took a lot. It took me years to be able to really get to the point where I was doing what I wanted to do in terms of buying and developing property. So I knew how those women felt, not having an easy route to get out of poverty. Well, and to realize uh, dreams too. I mean, to not have dreams crushed. Yeah. 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 Particularly women in the third world who don't have, in this country, who don't have a, a ready way out to fulfill on their dreams because they don't have the financing resources to get there. Yeah. So that's why I started yeah. doing that. In fact, as I met my wife doing that, and she's my wife, Marilyn, and 
years after we met, we talked on the phone. She was doing a grad school paper interviewing me, and we ended up getting married. And it's uh, and uh, she moved to Dallas, which and I moved to Dallas, and it was from Wichita and St. Louis. I was traveling a lot, and so my my uh, that's where I got involved with the opportunity for people of in poverty to have a, a step out that wasn't a handout that really trusted and that they could repay. And it had, there's ways that was done that made, you know, women in small groups guaranteed each other's loans and worked with each other to make sure people were successful. And it's just, it is a heartwarming, true miracle in terms of what's happened for self-employment for poor people throughout the world. One of these days, it'll be like, you got the Nobel Peace Prize and then people forgot about it. Yeah, I know. That's really sad, too, especially with what he's, you know, the impact that everybody's made. Well, thanks for sharing that yeah. because I took a dive into that. I wasn't sure where if that was where it was going to be perpetuated from, but I'm glad it sounds like it definitely is. So now you're on your career, you own Creative Real Estate Network, which can be found all over the place on the internet. And on your career now, you've done over $200 million or been involved in over $200 million worth of property exchanges, et cetera. And I know that you did a very impressive one across five states and four different people and all kinds of good stuff and private money movement. So let's talk about, and I'm going to go back to another, I'm going to ask you another question here in another minute, but let's go back to, let's just start with the creative down payments book that you have. Because many of our listeners are residential lenders, a few commercial lenders, um, some commercial and residential loan or realtors, some title companies, and obviously entrepreneurs who may or may not want to get invest, be involved in investing. Mm -hmm. But as a lender, you know, me having been in the business as a lender, if I wasn't able to help anybody get a loan and I have lots of resources, I'm very resourceful. One of my specialties was investment properties. But it was all residential. It wasn't commercial. It was multifamily, but it wasn't the depth of everything. And if I couldn't find a source for them, I just felt horrible because I couldn't send them anywhere. I couldn't do anything for the person. So can you give us an example of what some what a loan officer or a realtor might encounter on a daily basis that your systems and your pathway of creativity could maybe help them get the deal done? Uh, sure, I'd love to. So the creative down payments program. It was the the strategy I used to be able to get into properties, get investing into investment properties originally so that I could build my own estate, build my own wealth over a period of time. And so I had certain things I could do in a transaction, especially in downtimes. Now we're in a boom. It will not last. No. You know, it goes up and down. Yeah. It goes like yeah. the roller coaster. It goes up and down. So I was able to I once had a house that was for sale. It was a tough market, a tough neighborhood, not a tough neighborhood, but it was like, need a lot of work. And I had it for sale and I had a uh, buyer come along who wanted to look at the house and he was a plumber and his wife and him had four kids and he worked at a day job, but between with four kids, you got four kids, that takes up a lot of money. And they never had any any savings. They couldn't build up savings with their kids and medical bills and all that stuff. So, and I had this property for sale and it did require some work. So it's going to require a special kind of person, but it wasn't terrible shape. It just required cleaning up and painting and maybe a little plumbing work too. So 
he said, well, I don't have any money for down payment. I just wanted to look at the house because it's close to my, my job. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, listen, why don't we talk about this? Why don't I preface what I'm going to tell you and say, I tell all my people to do what I did, mm-hmm. which was document in the contracts and disclose to everybody involved what's happening in these kind of, these transactions. And you do not want to hide anything from a loan officer or from your bank and to, uh, because it's, people do that and this, it not only is not reputable, people right. go to jail for that. Right. It's not a so I, uh, so here's what we did. So in the contracts, I wrote a contract and disclosed, wrote a contract for him to buy my house that I had for sale and for $15,000 as a down payment and new financing, subject to him being able to, because he had plenty of income. He just needed a down payment. Right. So the contract was subject to him being able to sell some advanced payments for his, his services, night services before at or before closing mm-hmm. and then there's a separate contract that, that was where my company bought fifteen thousand dollars worth of plumbing supplies plumbing services right. to be used at nights on weekends when he wasn't working and i again subject my being able to sell my house over here so the two contracts were right together they were married they had to close at the same time right and i had a real use for plumbing credits because i had a bunch of small houses and duplexes and unit. Yeah. We signed the contract. We found a lender who would, a local lender who would make that loan and we closed. I got my credits and used them on nights and weekends when I had plumbing problems. Yeah. So it was a win situation. Right. What was the response to lenders in that type of situation, given the fact that you're the seller and you're the the person who's involved in this side contract you yeah. know, for, for doing that? Yeah. So, First two lenders we went to, they went, They didn't understand it, I don't think. Right. Then another lender thought it was a, somehow a violation of some law, but we're disclosing everything we're doing. And then the fourth one, local lender made the loan. So everybody in that situation was successful and won that transaction. I had another transaction very similar to this where I had a duplex, again, in pretty bad condition. It was like, more like old. It was a, inside the units were clean. And it was very cheap and it was, I had it for sale and I decided I was going to split the duplex in half and I could get a lot line split and right down the middle of the duplex. Right. And I sold uh, one of the tenants who had lived there and really paid for the facility, that apartment duplex right. many right. times over with rent. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, if you'll paint the inside and outside, I'll give you the paint and I'll give you $2,000 credit as a down payment on the, on the purchase of this property. And subject to you of being able to assume the loan and release the other side, the other side of the duplex. Yeah. The idea was is that if the loan payments that he would he would have were pretty much what the mortgage. rent was at that time. Yeah. So the mortgage payment and the rent were about the same. Anyway, so I they were happy to do that. I say he it was a couple, but he he kind of made all the decisions back then. And then so I took it to the lender, and they were glad to release the other side because they they converted a units like an investment loan right to a residential owner occupied loan. Yeah. So they yeah. were happy to make that transition, and uh, so now we closed that, and now I have a free and clear duplex, a, a half of a duplex, and yeah. I sold it to that tenant on the exactly the same terms and conditions, two thousand dollars down, subject to a new loan. Went back to the first. Uh, that that awesome. same financial institution, they made a new loan to that tenant. Yeah, awesome. So 
Yeah. That's an example of, I mean, just only one example of, of down payments. When you get in the commercial world, we've used land as a down payment to buy property and we bought that's a hotel in North Carolina. Uh, not cross-collateralizing, but, but taking over payments of land or just accepting free and clear land the, as... We've yeah. done that too, but the one example I'm telling you about, we bought a hotel. Uh, me and a partner, we bought a hotel in North Dakota. And part of what we did, Dave, was the carved off piece of the land that we bought from a neighbor. And we sold that. They gave that property to the at closing to the seller of the property. And we had financing to be able to finance the, the rest of the purchase. So the, we used the land we were acquiring from a third party to give to the seller of the hotel as a down payment. Yeah. So we got into yeah. that with, we still had to have financing, but we were able to get in with the lesser of a down payment, which was the key part. Yeah. So the whole idea is being able to on creative down payments is that there are a lot of things, assets people have as down payments and they don't think of them. And the most real estate people don't think of them as an asset. Yeah. So um, we've done RVs as a down payment. We've given land as a down payment, received land as a down payment. I created a mortgage loan on a building. I was building. I needed to refinance it when it got done. And but I had some money that I had to expand it a couple of times before the tenant took possession. And so I went and bought a. I created a note to a man I knew who was who would make, who would make loans, but I ended up buying his timeshare and. Palm Springs for $25,000 for the deal to close. So he gave me his money and I bought his uh, down payment. Uh, sorry, my babbling now. I bought his uh, uh, property down in Palm Springs. So I borrowed, uh, basically got 100000 cash and the Palm Springs property. I took the 100000 cash, put it in the building, finished it, and actually sold it and paid him back. And now he went from his 100000 to now $125,000 plus interest, timeshare, and Actually, ended up with it even closed on that timeshare. I used it to buy another timeshare in San Francisco. So (laughs) I live in this world where if you can figure out a way to buy or sell property when the market is not providing that access, you know, the properties that are marketable have a marketable value, but have no market for that value. Yeah. So properties are in real trouble, need properties in foreclosure sometimes. We done this with uh, banks to solve their problem when they've foreclosed on a property. So it's a unique way to do business, but the idea behind it is simple. Whether it's your buyer or seller, you can negotiate and to buy property or sell property and the down payment is something other than real estate. It could be personal property or could be other real estate. Right. Or cash. Right. So the whole idea is that you do not have to be a victim of what the marketplace is if you can find a way to solve everybody's problems, meet everybody's goals that are in the transaction. Yeah. And well, one of the and reasons think, that... Yeah, and I was going to say that's, you know, that win, 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 but I know that you you tend to call it what goes around comes around, right? So, <laughs> right? If you yeah. can help someone out, out, then someone can help you in the future. So, you know, your connections must be pretty yeah. massive or expansive, I guess would be the better word, would be um, yeah. pretty expansive, you know, at people who have money, people who are, to me, I'm thinking a lot of spinning plates, you know, or he has this money and we have that and a lot of moving parts to it. So yeah. how do you manage that? Well, one is a member of a couple of national organizations where we have worked with each other. We trust one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know what each other's limitations are. 
Some people bring cash to a transaction. Some people bring work. I've done a lot of real estate development. Even as the worker bee, you could say the person on the boots on the ground doing the work. So the bottom line is there's a lot of ways and a lot of people in the country that can help you. Now, one of the things I, I tell people is that when you need to put together the resources to do it in any transaction, it's not after you found all the property that you're going to do. Right. You should have put together the resources way back here Yeah. at the beginning, before you even knew you had a transaction. Yeah. And that's lenders, that's contractors, that's partners, that's title yeah. companies, put yeah, partners. Everybody. Insurance, making sure that, you know, they can do what you need to do. I did find that a lot in my career. And recently it happened too, because I still do some, I don't do traditional lending anymore. I'm not required to have a license, but I do a lot of investment lending, right? And um, mm-hmm. fix and flips, buy and holds, those types of things. And you know that market out there. There's a whole other world of no questions asked on income, but just give me collateral, right? Give me some collateral. Right. But of course, they come to me after they've been through six different traditional lenders. And then I got the call saying, hey, I know you're not doing lending anymore, but don't you do that quirky stuff? We need a deal. Yeah, quirky. And, and by the way, I needed it yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> nope, not going to happen. I'm going to pretend like we're just starting out. And so it's going to take a good month for me to figure this out because I have to figure out what you've tried and what didn't work. And then I have to pitch it. And then we got to get appraisal. You know, we still have to do that. Right. But it's still, you it's still, still have to, have to underwrite creative it. to your full end. Yeah. And it has to be underwritten, but it's a very light underwrite. But we didn't end up pulling the deal together in time and the guy lost like 20 grand, but it wasn't my fault. He had already lost the 20 grand the day he wrote the contract. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. He should have known. He should have known. Somebody should have known. And, and so he didn't have to lose his earnest money deposit. Let me say something about yeah. the other forms of creative financing, if you yeah. don't mind. Yeah. So the, there's all kinds of ways to do transactions. And the key message I want to leave with people with is uh, before we get too close to the end of this is that whether you're buying or selling or lending, you want to find and ex- create and expand whatever edge that you can develop, not against anyone else, but edge against failing in any contract you come up on. So an edge, for example, is having some money to be used as a down payment. Mm-hmm. An edge would be having people that are knowledgeable about the construction of the kind of property you're going to work on. An edge can include your mental edge. Mm-hmm. of being prepared to do whatever it takes to find out whether a deal is a good deal or not a good deal. Even an edge can be the speed of making decisions. Mm-hmm. An edge can be whatever partners you can line up to put into it, put into a transaction with you if it's too big for your own resources. So one of the things is, is all these techniques that we've talked about and I've written about are all in this world of how do you create an edge so that an edge against failure of a deal. Yeah. In other words, that you can, you got a basically a big, huge tool belt. An endless resources. Yeah. Right. That you can reach and bring together. Mm-hmm. So the focus is on you get the res- you focus on resources all the time. Yeah. And you're adding people that have money as a part of your resources. You add property that you have for your own skill. Is that in terms of knowing what to do with this kind of property, you have people that know how to work with other kind of properties. You create an edge against failure. Yeah, I love that. Right. And anybody can do that. And there's lots of things that are edges against failure, but there's a lot of things that take away from that edge. I was talking to a residential investor 
and he bought houses that needed some work and he'd do some white turnaround work with them, clean up. He would do that and he would put it back on the market. And he got a call from a woman, an elderly woman who had, and she said, uh, I have a house for sale. Would you be interested in, in buying it? Are you still buying houses? Because she saw one of his advertisements. Mm-hmm. And he said, sure, what's the address? And she gave him the address. He says, I'll be right over. And she said, you're going to come over? And he said, well, of course I'm going to come over. I've got to look at the house and talk to you and see if we can put together a transaction. And she said, I've talked to 16 or 17 different investors in the last two days. And even had one guy, who, when I told him what I wanted for the house, he cursed me out and slammed the phone down on me. I didn't think anybody would come out and look at my house. He said, well, I will. Yeah. So we went out and he sat down and talked with her and he found out what the most important things that she needed in a transaction, one of which was that she was moving to a home with somebody else mm-hmm. and she needed 60 days to be able to stay in the property. Well, then the person that I'm talking about, he said, well, sure, that's no problem. You can stay here. But we just may be doing some work around the house. And she said, no problem. I just wanted to want to stay. For right. So that was important to her was that she could stay in that property for 60 days. Yeah. Nobody else was going out and talking to her. They were all pushing her away saying, we don't want to really talk with you if you're not going to give us the price we want on the front end. And so the, an edge that you can lose at the edge of relationship with people. Yeah. People close transactions and that the property doesn't have anything to do with what, who's going to close it. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so that's what I want to say about that. But the edge piece is that you can make or break your edge every day in the business you're working in. And the more edge you have, the more you can find ways to close transactions that normally would not close. And most people, other people couldn't close. Yeah. And I think that's probably the golden nugget in what we've been talking about too, is to, to have that edge on it. And we won't have time to talk about it today, but I know you do a lot of high level deal makers, right? And so for those that are listening and you're in that high level area and market, that's something that you work with as well. Um, and I also know that you have a course, right? So tell us about your course. It's called Creative Real Estate Formula. And so tell us about the course that you have. Well, I got really two courses. The first one is on how to raise money for real estate for investments. Like how do you find money that you can use to invest in property that you want to invest in or develop or buy and remodel? How do you find joint venture partners? And so I have a course on that. It's called the Ultimate Money Raising Formula. And then I also have a course called the Real Estate Dealmakers Program. And in that, we look at how do you develop the skills that you need to be able to be in the business of buying, selling, remodeling, fixing that property. And I'm talking about not the simple things like what an escrow is. I'm, I'm talking about what it, what it takes to really make a business for yourself right. out of in being involved in real estate rather than spending all the time that just you're tra- looking for a million dollar return on the first transaction. <laughs> a house with positive cash flow. Cause that always seemed to be the big thing. Yeah. It has to have positive cash flow. And I said, maybe not. It doesn't necessarily have to have positive cash flow. And it cracks me up too, because people will pay at least where I live in Virginia, right? Um, people will pay seven, eight, nine hundred dollars a month for a car payment, but they won't have a twenty-five dollar negative cash flow on a property that's appreciated. Right. So I, right. I can't understand it. I don't know the psyche, but then they're not the right people for investing, right? Because you have to take the emotion out of what we're talking about. This isn't 
yes, you may want that home, but you've got to take the emotion out to in order to um, get over all the hurdles in getting to the property. If in fact that's what you want, right. is that pride of ownership? Right. So, um, so we'll have links to both of your courses in the show notes and stuff. So anybody who's listening and said, you know, hey, I want to, I want to know what's about this. And I have to say, if you're a realtor, if you're a lender and you're listening to this, you know, and obviously if you're an investor, you'd want to take the course. But, but as a realtor or a lender, you want to be taking these kinds of courses. You don't want to be blindsided by your client saying, well, I heard and I knew about this. And this up levels your credibility and it increases your professional growth when you learn new ways and things that are out there that you never even knew about it. We think we know everything about lending, but we only know about lending as it's written in a book, mm-hmm. right? And it's a guideline that we have to live by. So it behooves you to know as much as you possibly can about this industry to whatever capacity you want, whether you want to go all the way to commercial or you want to be involved with the advanced creative things, or if you just want to take a, a nice first starter, kind of jumpstart kit, right? A jumpstart course on, wow, I didn't realize all this world is out there and you can start building that connection for yourself as well. So I want to end with asking you two more quick questions, hopefully some quick questions. The first is, who's your mentor? I mean, who do you look up to? Oh, that's, that's a big question. I have so many of them. <laughs> when I got into the self-storage business, there's a man out of Wichita, Kansas, by the name of Colby Salen, who was one of the founders of the self-storage business. And we were talking one day, and he offered me a partnership. This was 1990. And I was, the again, the boots on the ground, and I developed, uh, bought existing self-storage and turned it around, and and we built self-storage. And now he has, in my small part of the world, the Texas and Dallas-Fort Worth area and Oklahoma City and Shreveport, Louisiana, we, we did about 14 self-storage projects, but we joint-ventured a bunch of self-storage projects around the country where what we did was we uh, supplied expertise. Yeah, people that wanted to develop them. And so we ended up with small pieces of action, small pieces of ownership on a lot of different properties. He got me started and really taught me the practicality of the self-storage industry as opposed to the theory of the self-storage industry. There is a huge difference in, in terms of how do you figure out what a good location to build a property is? How do you figure that out? Yeah. How do you manage a property so that you have the maximum return? Everybody thinks that you raise the rates, but frequently that's not the case. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's five different ways to increase income. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a very quick question on that front. Have you ever converted a mobile home park into a storage unit? Storage I have home? not. I have not. Yeah. And well, the reason why I said that is one of my uncles did that in Michigan. I know you went to Michigan State, but one of my uncles did that. University in Michigan. of Michigan. University of Michigan. They bought a mobile home park that was kind of falling apart and everything. And they mm-hmm. eventually got everybody moved off and bought people off. And the slabs they then built storage on because it was already there. Yeah. So, you know, another little creative way. Okay. So thank you. That's sharing with one person. And then very quickly, could you share with us what your thoughts are for the market that we're about ready to approach in 2020 as we're recording this in November of 2019? I would say I'm very cautiously optimistic, but very cautious. Uh, the construction costs have just gone through the roof and oh, I've done a lot of new construction and I cannot honestly tell you what a project's going to cost. I would be building in a year after I get everything put together. Yeah. So I get a self-storage project I was trying to put together down in Arizona simply because I couldn't pin down 
the cost of labor, lumber, steel. I heard that in New York at a conference I was speaking at last week, the same thing. They're having so much, so many overruns on costs, you know, in New York City. And, right. and yet we have nationally a really bad shortage of housing nationally for yeah. everybody. And, and I think they've just got us by the you-know-whats in, in these construction costs because we just need more housing. And we needed it all across the country. Oh, yeah. No, it's all, yeah. all across the country. It was just in that area. Yeah. So you're somewhat bullish, somewhat, not a lot, somewhat uh, bullish. On what's more like on. optimistic. I'm optimistic that the economy in the middle run, like two or three years, I taught macroeconomics for a college one time. So I'm cautiously optimistic, but I don't know what's, what's really unpredictable is after two or three years. When we get to that point, we have... We have tons of issues that are that are about ready to come back and bite us, and I don't know which way it's going to turn. You know, yeah. in Europe they got negative interest rates. How do you make a deal on negative interest rates? I know they have negative interest rates. Of course, everybody's like, "Oh, I want that," but it's not as it's not what you think it is. Yeah, we have that. We have we do have some oversupply in certain areas, like in commercial. We still have some oversupply, and we're actually seeing that here in Virginia, where a lot of commercial buildings that have been sitting have been converted or are being converted into residential condos and things like that. Um, and for us, it's housing those that are coming in and doing the building. They can't afford to buy and live in our, you know, I live in the richest county in the country. They can't afford to come in here and work to build the things that need to be built and because they don't have the housing, have the housing. So there's a lot of talk about that. Of course, there's a talk about recession, which we're already in. But there's talk about the recession and how that's going to affect things. And we've been so spoiled with rates being so low for so long that any tick up in interest rates puts the skids on pretty much most of the market, at least in the traditional side. So that said, do you feel that this, and you know, it's another election year, doesn't matter what side you fall on. Do you feel like that's going to have a major impact on the housing and economy this year? Or do you feel that regardless of who gets into office, there'll be a trickling impact a couple of years later? Yeah, I actually don't think there will have any significant impact. In every election I've ever seen over my lifetime, every time the other party was going to get in office, it was going to be mean the ruin of the country. Right. And that never happened. And so I don't think it really makes a hill beans difference in terms of Long term. Now, the short term, it, it could reap oh, yeah. havoc with, yeah. with like materials and cost of labor and cost of the money. But I think over the long term, it makes almost no difference who's in power in any particular national office. Now, maybe in local offices, it that may make a difference because of the ease or difficulty in getting building permits and yeah. Etc. Oh, so yeah, that, yeah, the start, the housing starts and whatnot. Um, so the last question relative to that is, are you buying or are you selling now? Not selling. We're just holding and I'm looking for opportunity. This is another thing that's an edge is that when you don't have to do a deal. Yeah. That you can just choose because why choose to do a deal that's going to be uncertain and cost you money? And so I'm just very cautious and I'm more of a long-term buyer and developer as opposed to a short-term flip person. Yeah, I have been. So I've done, I'm, not, I'm not, I don't like fix and flips. <laughs> For me, I don't. Yeah, yeah I don't like to. Yeah, so the long-term and I'm cautiously optimistic over the, over the, the short-term. I'm cautiously optimistic over the middle-term, a middle-term meaning like two, three, two to three years. And then after that, I have not a clue. Right. And so I think it's, there's a 
old saying, keep your powder dry. If you're in a firefight, keep your powder dry because you might need that powder in order to, to deal with the enemy. And in our case, the enemy is recession or extreme economic dislocation. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, I, I that. think well, that this is the time. Quote, so I got it now. Keep your powder dry. <laughs> Be prepared. Yeah. Be prepared. Get yourself yeah, in the right position. Yep. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Chuck, for spending time with us today. And again, you know, if you're listening in and you want to learn more about Chuck, we'll have all kinds of links, etc. And you can reach out to him directly. And if he doesn't respond for whatever reason, you can give me a call and I'll get him on the phone because I see him all the time. right? And But I just really thank you so much for shedding some new light on some more opportunities that are out there for people to expand and grow their personal, you know, their personal growth and their professional growth, their finances. And really just look forward to continuing our relationship. And thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you. It's my privilege and my pleasure. Absolutely. So everybody listening, thank you again for spending your day with us and spending time with us. And we hope that you took a nugget or two away from this conversation that can change your business and change your life. And again, with most gratitude, I say thank you so much for listening in. Please continue to pay it forward by sharing this podcast with as many people as you feel could benefit from it. And we'll talk to you next time on Mortgage Lending Mastery. Thank you for listening to Mortgage Lending Mastery. Looking to streamline and launch your practice by accessing Jen's tools, courses, classes, presentations, and resources? Visit jenduplessis.com to learn about the features and benefits thousands of other professionals have experienced by enrolling in Jen's Lifetime Membership Program. Isn't it about time you consider a coach to take your business to new heights? Contact Jen to start your application process today. Thanks again, and be sure to tune in next week.